Braves and baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. Left side, Swanson to first. Braves, champions. Braves in baseball talk, straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. And hello and welcome to From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. I'm Grant McCauley. These are the Kia Studios, and this is the final weekend of the regular season across Major League Baseball. And I don't know, just got a little goosebumps there because October is right around the corner. In fact, it starts tomorrow before the Atlanta Braves. It will get started in full on October the 7th. That's game one of the National League Division Series at Truist Park. The Braves just don't know who they're going to be lining up against just yet because the National League wild card is very much still wide open. At least a, a couple of those spots could be. At least one of them I know is for sure. The Philadelphia Phillies, though, have got a pretty good stranglehold on their playoff uh, trajectory, if you will, at this point, which is what everybody wants to be able to say that they can do. You want to be able to control your own fate, your own destiny, if you will. But October, as we have seen, can have different ideas than the clubs that come in hoping to win it all. The Braves did it as recently as 2021. That was the first time in two and a half decades. Last year, you might have felt like that Braves team could be perhaps a little bit better than the 2021 squad was, and you go home in the first round. These are the kind of things that can happen. Just got to play your best baseball uh, once you get to October, and the Braves are going to look to do just that. But when it comes to playing the best baseball in all of Major League Baseball, the Braves have been doing that. They've been doing it since their hot start in April. They were able to get through what was a bit of a lull period in the month of May, catch fire in June. You know, it, it kind of came back down to earth a bit right after the All-Star break. And then the next thing you know, the Braves turn it back on, close out August, get into September, clinch the division with about three weeks to spare, two and a half weeks anyway. And they're able to work on getting the best record and the home field advantage throughout the postseason. And I'm here to tell you, one of the many things we'll be talking about on this edition of From the Diamond is the Braves did just that. They were able to do all of those things. And you know, this run through October won't be without its storylines, its drama, if you will, the injury question marks that come for just about every club throughout the course of the season. And for the Braves, it doesn't seem to be avoidable uh, with the starting rotation and the injury question marks that have come since really October of 2020. We're going four straight years of having to do some kind of creative thinking about how you're going to navigate at least the first three spots of your rotation. Two of them you feel pretty good about. But Max Fried's blister issue, well, that might have had you at least a little bit concerned. But Charlie Morton's finger ailment, that is something that might have destabilized things a bit more than the Braves would have liked. You've got Spencer Strider locked in there. How are the Braves, though, going to handle the third spot in that rotation for the division series? And then once you advance, as the plan is, of course, you jump into seven-game formats, and that's when you're going to need more than just a couple of starters. But the schedule, as we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show, for that division series, it's kind of favorable if you have at least two solid starters because the off days that come with it, that could be a workable scenario. But, of course, you got to get there healthy, and the Braves have got to hit. And if you've been tuned into the show anytime since, I don't know, February, you might have been hearing about the Braves' offense. And as we got started in the season and kind of did month over month over month, we started realizing that this may be one of, if not the best offenses we will ever see, not just in Braves franchise history, 
but perhaps in the history of baseball. I'm going to have Eno Saris of The Athletic join me a little bit later in the show. And one of the fun things that has come up, as I've noticed over the past really month plus, the Braves and the 1927 Yankees keep getting mentioned. And I think that you know, baseball gives us those kind of sayings that even if you're not a baseball fan, you, you utilize in everyday slang, you know, like, well, right off the bat, we're going to do this. Or, well, that came out of left field. You know, those kinds of things. And one of the, I guess, great comparisons of when something's really great or you've got a, a great team or a great group of people together, or perhaps if you want to display exactly or, or, or communicate how poor a group is, you could say, well, they're not the 27 Yankees. Well, the 2023 Braves there might be some version of the 27 Yankees. I don't know if, uh, if it's Matt Olson's playing the role of Lou Gehrig and Ronald Acuna Jr. is playing Babe Ruth or the other way around. I don't really know. It doesn't really matter. But leading Major League Baseball in virtually every major offensive category as a club, slugging over 500 as a team, these are the kind of things you just don't see too often. And we're not talking about juice ball era. We're not talking about the steroid era. I don't know what we are talking about here other than history. Let's just put it that way. And the Braves have been on quite this role. And you know, one of the things that they needed to do for a team with that kind of offense and that has the kind of aspirations that they do for October was take care of that home field advantage throughout the postseason. And Atlanta did that in such an exciting fashion. And it had right in the middle of it Ronald Acuna Jr. making still more history. Now, you might know if you've tuned into From the Diamond here on 92.9 The Game or heard me on any of a number of different platforms, the Ronald Acuna Jr. show has been must-see. Buy a ticket. As Brian Snitker says, don't leave your seat to buy a beer. You might miss something that you've never seen before. That's how good this kid is. And he's been doing it in just about every single category. We've talked about the MVP debates, perhaps, and maybe that's been put to bed. I think it should be at this point. Ronald Acuna Jr. should be the National League's most valuable player. With all due respect to everybody else's great season, including his teammate Matt Olson, who should also finish very high in that MVP voting. But that game against the Chicago Cubs, second game of that three-game series, Ronald Acuna Jr., in the tenth, or excuse me, in the eighth inning, he gets on base, steals second, scores the tying run. Then you get into the tenth inning, he knocks in the tying run, steals second base to become the first player in baseball history with 40-plus home runs and 70 stolen bases in the season. And that's just an incredible, incredible feat. How incredible is it? You've only got five members now of the 40-40 club, as it were. Ron Lacuna Jr. has had easily the most dominant season of any of the 40-40 members, without question. And if you want some kind of validation on that, just a kind of an exclamation point as to exactly how good that club sees him, how about Barry Bonds on his Instagram saying, congratulations to Ronald Acuna Jr. on joining the 4040 Club and making your own club, creating your own, founding it, as it were. I think Ronald's uh, words were translated to uh, inventing the 4070 Club. What, however you want to line it up. It's just ex- extremely impressive. And that's what Bonds had to say there. You know, love him or hate him. Barry Bonds did a lot of big things on a baseball diamond, so the recognition, you know, what do they say, real recognizes real? I think that would probably qualify there. And right there in the comments at the top, you find another member of the 4040 Club on that Instagram post for Bonds. is Alex Rodriguez. Again, love him or hate him. Did some big things on a baseball field just with the, you know, hands clapping emoji because that's all you can do at this point to Ronald Acuna Jr. And I think everybody's recognizing that at 25 years old, and speaking of Instagram, how about Mookie Betts, the other guy that's been talked about for most valuable player? throughout the course of especially the second half and after he took off and went supernova in the month of August, he had a story on his Instagram that had Ron Lacuna Jr.'s 4070 graphic that MLB had put out, and he said, I just want you guys to realize how crazy this is. So there's a lot of real recognizing real right about now for Ron Lacuna Jr. 
This has been about the realest and craziest season that I think you could have ever put together. You could simulate it on MLB The Show or pick a video game or, or whatever platform you want to, but Ronald has exceeded all possible expectations. But to have him join the 4070 Club to score the game-winning run as the Braves clinched home field advantage through the World Series, that's kind of a cool moment. Talk about those goosebump moments. I think Ronald might have a few more of those up his sleeve because then I get excited thinking about, you know, that little slice of, of, of an October preview for a club that after they clinched the division, the Braves went down to Miami, they got swept. Then they lost two out of three to the Phillies. It kind of had people wondering, well, are they, are they motivated? Are they, are they focused here? Is this kind of a, a hangover? Are they, you know, losing momentum at a time that you can't afford it? Well, the Cubs came in fighting for their postseason lives, and the Braves dealt them a serious, a crippling blow. Quite honestly, as you go through the final, what, 48 hours that are remaining in this season, the Cubs needed that series in the worst way. And not only did they kind of throw one away in the first one, I mean, the Braves, they battled back, but drop a fly ball, lose a game, that's pretty demoralizing. Then the next night, they got a gift run early on. We're not going to dwell on this for too long, but a foul ball that was called a pass ball that gave the clubs a, uh, the Cubs a run that felt like it might be the deciding one in that game. Then you got a back-and-forth battle. Into the ninth inning, Marcelo Zuna sends it to extras with a game-tying home run, and Ronald Acuna Jr. takes it from there. That just, it felt like October. And the Cubs may be on the outside looking in when it comes to that picture, but for the Braves, I think you wanted to see that. I, I used that word validation, that this is you know a club that is capable, that hasn't lost its edge, that is everything that it has been all season long, which is a juggernaut of a club, offensively speaking, and a team that is capable of matching up with anybody in Major League Baseball. I think you did need to see that, and it was good to see it in that Cubs series, and the Braves... You know, they brought it. Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. I have this saying. even have my buddy, <laughs> buddies from Roto Wear, put it on a shirt. You can win ugly. You can't lose pretty. That might have been game one of that Cubs series. But then that second one, that just really felt like that was a moment here. And maybe it's just the most recent moment, and hopefully the Braves have a lot more, as I said, up their proverbial sleeves as we head into October. But clinching home field advantage throughout the playoffs, another 100-win season for this club. It just played out so much differently this September than last. And that's going to be something we're going to focus on a lot on this show because the Braves, having had that experience, having had that one-week layoff last year because the wild card went from one game to a three-game series, how are they going to approach that? We got to talk to Brian Snitker about that this week at Truist Park, and he revealed that, hey, we're going to try to keep it business as usual. We're going to play some games. We're going to do some practice games here, some exhibitions, if you will. They're even going to open up Truist Park to the public to come on out and watch the Braves play Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday It'll be the split squad action. What I don't know how exactly you want to term it, but it'll look a lot like an exhibition game. Bring over the guys from the alternate site, you know, a bunch of guys that probably just got done with their Gwinnett season, and get out there and play, what, seven, eight, nine innings, whatever it looks like. And I think that that's good because baseball players, and I, I put this out on social as well, they're creatures of habit. So keeping them in a regular feel for that week rather than just, hey, we're going to come in, we're going to do some fielding drills, we're going to take live batting practice, and then we're going to go home. I think that you didn't really know what other way to do it a year ago because you didn't maybe know how it was going to affect you. But the biggest thing I think that you could look at in this scenario, and we'll get into it a lot more here in a few minutes, I mean, as hitters, when you take that kind of time off, it ain't easy to jump right back in. And, oh, let me face some of the toughest pitchers, throwing as hard as these guys throw now, dealing with that kind of velocity after sitting around for five, six, seven days, not really facing guys that are out there trying to get you out, not guys that are serving up tanks in batting practice, a little bit different. Be that as it may, I think the Braves are on the right track when it comes to their preparation for the National League Division Series. We'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, on this week's show, we'll also hear from Brian Snitker, 
about his team's preparation and what went into it, the thought process behind their experience last year and what they're hoping to accomplish this year with those simulated games that they'll be playing at Truist Park this week. And as I mentioned, if you're a fan, you're in the area, want to come on down, want to check it out, battery will be available to you. And you can come on into Truist Park and watch the Braves get ready for the National League Division Series. I think that's a pretty cool little deal right there. You also hear my conversation with somebody, a, a member, quite possibly, of this Braves postseason roster. I think he's going to make it. I think he has to at this point. I think he's a pretty valuable little weapon. And that would be Forrest Wall, the speedy outfielder who was just blazing a trail down in AAA Gwinnett. Finally got an opportunity late season with the Braves. And I think he's just exactly what you're looking for in the postseason. When you get into that situation where it's a one-run game, maybe you're down by one, maybe you're tied up, whatever the case. You need that speed off the bench, steal you a base, score from first, whatever it is that you're looking for. I think Forrest Wall could provide some of that. And I got a chance to catch up with him at Truist Park this week because he had spent a nine-year journey through the minor leagues just trying to make his big league dream come true. And now he could be a part of the Braves' postseason run. That's a pretty special thing. I talked to him about that. You'll hear that a little bit later on. I also sat down with the voice of the Braves for Bally Sports, Brandon Gauden, to get his thoughts on what he has watched all year long because what he has watched is the same thing you and I have watched, and that's an incredible Braves club with a record-setting offense, MVP-caliber players. you got a lot to enjoy in your first year on the job if you're Brandon God. I'm going to get his thoughts on that. I'm going to get his thoughts on, on what we've seen from Ronald Acuna Jr. this year and what it was like to you know settle in and get that opportunity to call baseball games for the team you grew up watching. I still think that's one of the coolest things. And take that you know from another TBS kid who grew up watching the Braves when about all we had was Dale Murphy for a while. And then in 1991, a lot of things changed. And I think a lot of folks have probably built their expectations for every October based on what the Braves started doing in the 1990s. We'll talk to Brandon Gaughan about all of that. And as I mentioned, Eno Saris of The Athletic is going to check in. He wrote a great piece this week and, and had an opportunity. He's known Matt Olson since the Oakland days to talk to him a little bit about what has you know clicked for Matt here, especially in the second half. In the month of June when the Braves got so hot, Matt got extremely hot. And it has led him to not one but two records that we're going to be talking about. The home run record for the club. The RBI record for the club. Really impressive stuff. So that's what's ahead on this edition of From the Diamond. Hope you will ride along with me here. And when we get back, we will jump into the week that was for the Atlanta Braves, talking about their plans to prepare for the postseason. How they going to be a little bit different from last year. We'll hear from Brian Snitker as well as we continue with From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Now, back to more From the Diamond. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back in to From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Grant McCauley with you from the Kia Studios on a Saturday afternoon. It's the final weekend of the regular season. The Braves have taken care of, I think, all the pieces of business that they really needed to take care of when it came to charting their path through October. They wanted to punch their ticket, get a postseason berth. Did that uh, about a month ago. Wanted to go ahead and clinch the National League East. Well, they took care of that about two and a half weeks ago. And they want to grab that best record and, and secure that home field advantage throughout the course of the playoffs. They've been able to take care of that as well. So a lot of things on the checklist for the Braves that they have checked off. And now the bigger and more important items on that checklist are still ahead of them. you got to survive and advance each and every round and hopefully be the last team standing, something the Braves know all too well from their experience in 2021 and something else they know all too well is having to deal with uh, the injuries that pop up along the way, having to change your plans, having to optimize that roster for the month of October. These are the decisions they have to make and the things they have to deal with as they put together that NLDS roster uh, in advance of Game 1 of the National League Division Series at Truist Park on October the 7th. They've also, uh, by clinching home field advantage throughout the playoffs, you know, been able to put themselves in a position which I feel like was maybe one of the most beneficial parts of their 2021 run. 
and that was being able to host the Dodgers to start that NLCS, win those first two games, and put a club like Los Angeles that, and we know, and they're going to be in the postseason again this year, they got the big goal in mind as well. They've been built to win in October. They did it in 2020. They've come up short a couple of other times, and the Braves and the Dodgers both found themselves first-round exits a year ago. So some unfinished business for both of those teams. As I talked about, you know, with the Braves and the Cubs, you had the opportunity to maybe get a little bit of a feeling, you know, that October preview. I think a little bit of those juices were flowing. Ronald Acuna Jr. was doing big stuff. I'll get to that in a couple of minutes. In the middle of a big game-winning rally, setting some, you know, setting another milestone, reaching and and making more history as he's wont to do throughout the course of this year. I got a lot of great stats I'll share with you, but uh, more importantly, I think for the Braves is their focus on, you know, how they're going to prepare for this NLDS because a year ago, you know, and as I've talked about quite a bit, and as everybody knows, the Braves didn't clinch until the next to last day of the season to win the National League East. They had that great series against the New York Mets to really swing the balance completely in their favor at that point, take over that tiebreaker, which, of course, is how the Braves won the division because both they and the Mets finished with the same record. But head-to-head, Atlanta had to do some serious work, and they had to do it all the way through the end of the regular season. That has not been the case here in 2023. They've still accomplished the things that they needed to. Best record in baseball, best record in the National League, had the tiebreaker that they needed with the Orioles. So regardless of what happens in the final couple of games, The Braves are going to be the club that has the chance to have that home field advantage all the way through the postseason, but how can they prepare themselves to enjoy that long postseason run? That's one thing I think is certainly worth discussing. And for the Braves, they discussed, based on their experience last year, of having that little layoff while the wild card round was going on, and they wanted to change it up this time around. So Brian Snitker and the club actually revealed this as well, that they're going to be doing practice games at Truist Park. Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, a trio of these things, at least that's the plan. Obviously, subject to change, but I think this is the route to go. You know, last year it was fielding practices. I'm sure you know regular workouts, pitchers throw on the side, maybe some live BP, some you know simulated games and innings and things, just to try to keep guys fresh. But you weren't really in that game day type of atmosphere, and you're not going to be able to simulate exactly what it's like in October. But the Braves are going to have fans in and everything to try to make a little bit more of their preparation period this year. I think that's going to be pretty cool. And Brian Snitker discussed exactly what went into all of this and why they decided to go with practice games this time around over maybe the more traditional means. Take a listen. As we processed all this and and doing something different than we did last year, I thought we did a good job last year, but it wasn't good enough, I don't think. And it it doesn't matter. I mean, you going into a playoff series and anything can happen. You know, don't pitch, don't hit, whatever. Do it all. Have everything clicking. You just never know what's going to happen anyway. But I think this will be better. You know, try to keep everything like we would on a normal week as, as best we can. You know, playing game, want fans out, and just to try and, you know, I don't, I don't know how long the games will be. It'll be up to the pitching. But still make it more realistic than what we did last year. I really was hoping that this would be something the Braves would do at least a couple of times in advance of the division series because you have that layoff, final day of the regular seasons on Sunday. You're not going to play again until game one of the division series is what, Saturday. So what are you going to do with that time off? I mean, I think they needed to change something up. So they're bringing over some players from the alternate side, some you know farmhands from Gwinnett and what have you, and they're going to be guys that you know would be and that will be ready just in case they're needed at some point in October. So a lot of players, beyond just a 26-man roster that you're going to set, need to get a little bit of work over the course of this coming week. And Brian Snitker discussed a little bit more about the practice games, what they're going to look like, and what they're hoping to accomplish with these. i say it was a new thing last year. We didn't really know what to do or how to do it. It's Nobody had ever done that before. You know, we thought we did 
an okay job, the best we could. And then, you know what, you get feedback from the players too. Um, what, what do you guys think? You know, what? now you've got a year under your belt. And we started talking as staff and with the players and um, kind of figured we could probably do something better to make it more engaging for everybody. So we'll see how it works this time around. Yeah, and they definitely are going to do something just a little bit different. These practice games, again, it's not going to be, you know, necessarily going as – you know, full bore as you would against another team that's out there trying to beat you. But I think it will be kind of reminiscent of what you would do in the exhibition, you know, slate. You want to get the guys' work in, and it's just, I think, a little bit better when you put on the uniform and you get out there and you run around and you play more so in that game format. Uh, So Brian Snicker discussed exactly how they're going to approach all of these and really what they're kind of hoping to see from the guys as they get through these three practice games. You know, let's make it as realistic as we can within reason, still be able to control things. You know, you may roll an inning over or kind of like we did in spring training COVID pretty much. You know, we might add a hitter here and there if a guy's having a real quick inning and we got, you know, a number of pitches in our mind, how much we want a guy to throw. And then we got guys at the, you know, at the alternate site, they're going to be over here for three days. And, you know, so we should have, you know, pretty good stock of guys to be able to, to pull it off. Now, if you'll recall, and I know probably none of you have spent a lot of time thinking about it, but teams had to get creative with how exactly they got ready for the 2020 shortened season, and it was really like a summer training camp in which you basically had to figure out a way in your own house to be ready to play when the game started. And I think that's a little bit of what the Braves can lean on, just knowing how they did that. You know, It won't be the most structured game format, but they're going to keep it, again, as close as possible. And when he says roll an inning or give an extra bat, you might see, well, maybe more than three outs in an inning. Because you just want to see that pitcher get his work in or a hitter get an opportunity to get an extra plate appearance, that kind of thing. So I think it'll be interesting to, to watch all of this. So if you do get a chance to you know be down in the area and check all this out, I would definitely encourage you to do that. I think it's going to be kind of fun. But one of the other things that's going to come out of this is not just the practice, but as I mentioned, there's decisions to be made, particularly on the pitching staff side, of how exactly the Braves want to fill out their 26-man roster. And Brian Snitker discussed the importance of checking these players out and of taking a look at – some of the guys that could factor in in the roster decisions. Here's Snit. Anytime you play a baseball game, you evaluate, regardless of the situation. You know, there was a couple of guys that came in last year and, and uh, the sim games, and we watched them throw, and it was like conversations, you know, in the end, depending on, you know, how we look at them, view the matchups for the roster and things like that. And I think anytime, you know, like I say, anytime you're out there and you're playing and, and you have a chance to do something good, you're being evaluated. And that's particularly true for the pitchers that are going to be working there. We've seen, and I'll talk a lot about the pitching staff as we go on in the show, and maybe some of the decisions they need to make regarding you know, Game 3 of the National League Division Series. You hope to have Max Fried back, and by all indications he will be. You've got Spencer Strider, but the absence of Charlie Morton, how are they going to approach that? Is it as simple as, hey, Bryce Elder starts this game? Is it maybe a little bit more creative? Because we saw a guy like A.J. smith Schauber come up and you know, have a very good shortened outing and then be followed up by Cal Wright. And that gave the Braves six quality innings. You get six quality innings going, you're going to be calling on the back end of your bullpen to do what it needs to do in October. We saw that in 2021 with the night shift. But these are all the things that the Braves are going to be looking at over the next few days to try to you know, make all those decisions. And we'll talk about the pitching staff a little bit more later. But I cannot go too terribly long, especially here in the first hour of the show, without getting into the kind of history that Ronald Acuna Jr. and only Ronald Acuna Jr. makes. And we've discussed the 40-70 club in the 10th inning of Wednesday's game against Chicago. He had the game-tying RBI single. He steals second base, scores the game-winning run, the walk-off by Ozzie Albies, pulled the base up out of the ground. Apparently that has become a, a, a bit of a rallying cry for what are we doing here on the opposite side. But 
look, if it's your guy making history, you'd appreciate it too. And I didn't really think it was over the line, but be that as it may, the history that Ron Lacuna Jr. made, I think, is something that we may only appreciate as time goes on because even with Ron Lacuna Jr. in this league at 25 years old and maybe capable of running it back, as they say, and doing it all over again, we've never seen a season like this. And it goes so far beyond the 40-70. And let's just look at a couple from the Braves' perspective. Ronald Acuna Jr. now leads Major League Baseball with 215 hits. That is the most by a Braves hitter since 1971 is Ralph Gar with 219. That's the record for Atlanta, the Atlanta era of Braves baseball. So since 1966, if you're looking for the last time that a Braves hitter had 220 or more hits, it was Hank Aaron in 1959. And again, the list uh, and, and the players on this list that Ronald Acuna Jr. keeps bumping into is incredible. I mean, the 40-40 club in and of itself is quite the accomplishment. But to go 40-50, 40-60, 40-70, and oh, by the way, you're leading Major League Baseball in hits. You're leading Major League Baseball in runs scored. He's got 147 of those, has a chance to be the first man to 150 runs scored since Jeff Bagwell did it in 2000. Prior to Jeff Bagwell, it was Ted Williams. Prior to Ted Williams, it was Joe DiMaggio. Keep that name in mind because I'm going to get into another one here for Ronald. But how about stolen base history? Because it wasn't just the 70 steals that got him into an all-new club, founding the 40-70 club, as it were. But with his 72nd steal, two steals, on Friday night, he tied Otis Nixon's modern Braves record for stolen bases. He has a chance to break that over the final couple of games. And Otis Nixon was a very different player than Ronald Acuna Jr. Back in 1991, when he set that record, and keeping in mind, you know, hate to bring this up, but it is what it is, Otis Nixon missed all of September and the World Series because he was suspended. It was a drug suspension for him. Maybe he would have stolen more than 72 bases. Just going to throw that out there. But Otis did all this with zero home runs and 72 steals. Ronald's doing it with 41 home runs and 72 steals. So uh, quite a different season, if you will, as far as that's concerned. But some of the other things that Ronald Acuna Jr. has done and, and continues to do just boggle the mind. And Mark Bowman of MLB.com, a buddy of mine, of course, that we are out there watching what Ronald Acuna Jr. is doing on a regular basis, of course, all the stolen bases have really made this a truly unique season. But if you take those away, and I know that's quite the mental exercise, but Ronald's batting 336, which is a good enough total or good enough average most years to win a batting title. 41 homers, 147 runs scored, as I just mentioned, 79 extra base hits, the 215 hits we just talked about. And he is positioned to become one of just six players to bat 330 or better with 40-plus homers, 75-plus extra base hits, 145 runs, and fewer than 90 strikeouts because Acuna has only fanned 82 times this year. I'm going to talk about that with Eno Saris a little bit later. But those five players that Ron Lacuna Jr. will be joining, see if you've heard of any of these guys. How about Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Joe DiMaggio, Hack Wilson, and Chuck Klein? They're all in the Hall of Fame. Hack Wilson was the National League home run leader for a very long time until Mark McGuire came along in 1998, and I think we know how that summer went. But Joe DiMaggio was the last guy to do this, and it happened way back in 1937. To hit 330, 40 or more homers, 75-plus extra base hits, 145 runs scored, and to strike out fewer than 90 times. And, and that, in and of itself, just lets you know that the list that Ron Lacuna Jr. keeps finding himself on of either being the first man to ever do something or the first man in, I don't know, almost 90 years to do it, and the list of guys that have done it are some of the all-time greats that you could ever imagine, sounds like an MVP-worthy season to me. So we'll bring it all home there. There's also some history, though, made by Matt Olson this week. His two-run homer on Thursday, number 54 on the year, it adds to his Braves franchise record there for a single season. It also gave him a Braves modern record for most runs batted in. He's up to 137 now 
as he just passed Eddie Matthews, who had 135 back in 1953, the first year the club had moved to Milwaukee. So Matt just doing something that hadn't been done in 70 years, casually rubbing elbows with a Hall of Famer to himself. Just an incredible season. And I'll wrap with this because the Braves, we could spend all day talking about the home runs and the offense and the records and what have you. Still tracking down that MLB single-season home run record set by the Twins in 2019. It was 307 by Minnesota. Braves are at 304. They've got a couple of games left to get there. Will it fall this weekend? If I shake the Magic 8-ball here, sources say yes. I think it's going to fall this weekend. It's been a great season for the Atlanta Braves offense. They'd love to close it out on that high note. And that's some things going on this week in Braves baseball. But when I come back, I'm going to be joined by a very special guest. I caught up with him this week at Truist Park. He's Brandon Gauden, the voice of the Braves for Bally Sports. Get his thoughts on the Braves at large and, of course, his first season behind the microphone for this great club he grew up watching. That's next. Is From the Diamond with Grant McCauley continues on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Now, more From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back to From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game as we continue getting you ready for what will be the final weekend of the regular season here on a Saturday from the Kia Studios. Appreciate you making some time to join me, and I appreciate the folks I get to catch up with at the ballpark each and every week. It's always fun to go down, talk to the players, hear from Brian Snitker, all of those good things. But up in the press box, we've been known to have a little bit of fun as well, and how could you not with the 2023 Atlanta Braves? They've been the best team in baseball record-wise. They've been setting records right, left, and center. Maybe a few more before this weekend is said and done. And a man who's been behind the microphone to call all of it this season, his first with the Atlanta Braves, is Brandon Gauden, the television voice of the Braves for Bally Sports. And he's gotten to take it all in with what I still consider to be just the coolest job in the world, calling a baseball game. And that is perhaps even a little bit better when your club is doing the kind of things that the Atlanta Braves have been doing this year. But there are more miles to travel, of course. we got the postseason to talk about, and we'll do that here on the show. But I want to catch up with Brandon, see what the season was like for him, both watching this Braves club, what he expects going forward from the team, and reflecting on his first year behind the microphone, calling games for the team he grew up watching. Here's my conversation with Brandon Gauden from Truist Park this week. Brandon, it has been an exciting 2023 season for the Atlanta Braves, and that might even be selling it short. I know you and I both grew up watching this team, and this is a club that's done a lot of winning over the course of the last, what, 30 years now. But the 2023 club, your first year behind the microphone for this team, I would imagine that they have provided a few memories thus far and maybe quite a few more they'll be providing before it's all said and done. I hope so. Yeah, I've used the word spoiled a lot, and I think it's the right word. To step into this role for me, as you said, a lifelong fan was going to be a dream no matter what. If this team was 20 games below 500 and out of playoff contention, I still promise you I would be enjoying this gig. But to have a team that is truly doing historic things has made it extra special. And I think back to just what we saw, Ronald Acuna getting a 40-70 season, and the way that he did it, the stolen base number 70 being so important, to set up the Ozzy Albies game winner, this place going nuts. It felt like October, and it's not October yet, but it felt like that. It just kind of typified what this team has done all year and just kind of keeps us smiling. Yeah, I felt like that was a microcosm of Ron Lacuna Jr.'s season. I don't want to waste our time talking about an MVP debate because I feel like we've been watching the MVP every day, and that doesn't mean nobody else has a case. But let's key in on Ron a little bit, and then we'll kind of get to some of the other records that this team is capable of setting or has set by the time they're all said and done here in the 162. But I knew coming into this season, and I felt like it was going to be a special year for Ronald because 2022 just didn't look like the player that we were accustomed to, and you could tell the knee was still a thing. But a 100% healthy Ronald Acuna Jr., whose goal 
to play every single day. And while he may not have you know, been able to make that goal, he's come pretty close to, I think, removing all doubt about the player that he is, the player that he can be, and he's only 25 years old. So there's a lot of excitement wrapped up in this season that goes so far beyond 40-70, which is history in and of itself. Yeah, it is, and I, I think you're right. Look, last year, when I got to spring training this year and I was meeting everybody, the thing that I heard consistently was – Ronald was not full last year. And we had heard that throughout certain reports and so forth, that yes, he was there and he was putting up good numbers, but it wasn't Ronald Acuna Jr. and what he was capable of. And I think now we're seeing that this year, that last year he was not 100%, and this is full 100% Ronald Acuna. And it's not only good, it's scary good. And I totally get, and I know you and you provide all this stuff to your followers, to these numbers and things, but I get that Mookie Betts is having an amazing year. And in most years, Mookie Betts is the Mm -hmm. MVP. Ronald Acuna is the MVP this year. And if for some reason he's not, I think that that's a really big mistake. Heck, I think in most years, Matt Olson is the MVP. I think that Matt Olson setting the Braves' single-season franchise record in homers right on the doorstep of doing that in runs driven in, all while hitting above 280. That is such a good year. And to think that he's going to finish probably third in the MVP race is just crazy. But, yeah, what Ronald has done, you know, we, we talked about how he's the fifth member of the 40-40 club on air the other day. And then you go through and look. No one in that club, though, ever had 50 stolen bases, no. right? And you look at all of Ricky Henderson's homers, but he or stolen bases, but he never came close to the home run total. So for someone to be able to marry both of those together, and not only that, but hit for average, right, to go along with the power and the speed and everything that he brings to the table, uh, he's a generational talent, and you said he's 25. That's very exciting to think about. Yeah, 25, and he's going to be here for quite a while, the rest of his 20s, and maybe beyond that. But we'll get to that down the line. I'm sure Alex Dantopoulos will work on figuring all that out. You brought up Matt Olson, and I think as we know that this club is more than just one hitter. It's more than just one player. The sum of all the parts here could set a major league record for most home runs ever hit in a single season, and we're not talking about a juice ball year either. We're talking about one where they are so far out and ahead of everyone else in Major League Baseball Matt Olson's a major contributor to that. He broke Andrew Jones' single-season home run record. This may be the quietest 50 home run season that I can think of, and I know we had a lot of excitement with 50, 60, 70 home runs about 20 or so years ago, but this kind of season, as you pointed out, this usually garners some pretty serious MVP credentials or some MVP support. Let's call it that. Yeah, I agree. I think Matt Olson, maybe why it's a quiet 50 homer season is because Matt's a really quiet and humble guy, and you don't want to say that we only give attention to people who are flashy, but sometimes we do. And I I think that Matt, and and some of it's just that Ronald has been so good that Matt has simply been overshadowed. But I truly think that if you ask Matt on a lie detector test, if he cares at all that he's not getting the attention that he deserves, he doesn't. He just, that's just right. who he is. He's just hes just a good, humble guy. There's a reason he is the Braves nominee for the Roberto Clemente Award, which I hope that he wins. He certainly is very deserving. He does a lot of work with charities off the field, and he's just a good-hearted, good-natured guy. And the fact that he's a very good baseball player is also nice. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, what, what he's done this year has been fantastic. And just on the home run mark quickly, you, you said it. 2019, you look at the top. People talk a lot about the Twins that set the record mm-hmm. that year with three. 307 in 2019. Some people forget the Yankees had 306 that year. And everybody's 
individual record for home runs pretty much came in 2019 across Major League Baseball. There's a reason for that. The seams were raised, the baseball was, call it juice, whatever you want to call it. If this Braves lineup was hitting with those 2019 baseballs, they would have already flown <laughs> past 307. Who knows, they may be yeah. close to 400 if that were the case. There's some crazy stats that I've seen about Ron Lacuna Jr., about the Braves, their hard hit rates, all of those things. And one of the things that I saw this week, which is crazy, and then we can move on from the Ron Lacuna Jr. discussion altogether, but he might be one of the unluckiest hitters in baseball, just based on what his expected stats are, because he hits the ball so hard, so frequently, but to take that and kind of push it into the Braves as a whole, leading Major League Baseball in average, in hits, in home runs, in OPS, doing all of these things, and the most impressive thing to me about it, and I know you watch this on a regular basis, but the Braves last year were second in Major League Baseball in strikeouts. They have been around 25th over the course of this year, Ron Lacuna Jr. has gone from a guy who struck out almost 30% of the time in 2020 to a guy who's striking out just under 12% of the time. It's truly amazing the metamorphosis of this entire club. So 300 home runs? Yeah, I think they would have got there in 2019. Maybe they would have been knocking on the door 400 home runs. Yeah, and I think you can go up and down the Braves lineup with that strikeout rate. And it's it's Ronald, yes, he's cut it down a lot. You look just within this season. I think Matt Olson. Uh, when he was batting second in the order, he was striking out around 30% of the time. You move him down, and all of a sudden, I think it's 17 or 18% yeah. since that move in mid-June. And then you look at a guy like Michael Harris. Last year, he hit 238 versus lefties. This year, he's hitting almost 300 against lefties. There have been adjustments by these guys where it, you know we say it all the time on air. It's the balance of the lineup, and they can get you one through nine, unlike any lineup in Major League Baseball, and it's true. But when you look at what each guy has done to make an adjustment to make himself a better hitter in 2023 versus 2022 it's pretty staggering it's it's just it is in my time watching baseball and I'm coming up on 40 yes I'm biased I think it's the best lineup that I've seen I know that there's been some really good ones we've seen some really good ones but top to bottom it's hard to argue against the power and the average of this Braves lineup. It truly is. It's a well-rounded group. Let me talk a little bit about the lineup that you have been a part of this year. Your first year, as we talked about, behind the mic for the Braves as the voice of the Braves for Bally Sports South or Bally Sports or both, however that all breaks down. (laughs) A variety of Bally's outlets, but you are the voice for Bally Sports for the Atlanta Braves. Um, how much fun has it been to sit alongside Jeff Francoeur on a nightly basis or a regular basis, Tom Glavin, John Smoltz, some of the guys that have come through, the Peter Moylans, Nick Green, whoever it is, you know, it's just such a great team. How much fun have you guys had uh, being able to, A, come to work and call a baseball game, which I think is still maybe the greatest job ever next to play in the sport, but also have fun watching this team? Yeah, I think fun is the right word. You know, before I got this job, whether I was doing baseball or football or basketball, anytime you step into a booth and you get to be a part of a sporting event, I always tell myself, even if you're having a bad day, remember that people are watching that are trying to release from whether it's being a lawyer, being an accountant, digging a ditch, whatever it is they want to have fun and I want to try to be a part of that fun with them and certainly this team has made it easy but the team that you mentioned that we get to work with every night those guys are awesome I mean nobody has more fun in this world than Jeff Francoeur (laughs) and you saw that from him as a player Mm -hmm. but he's just that way he's so positive he's so energetic he's hilarious 
So having him next to me for most of these games has really been a thrill. I think it's also helped, you know, you're around our age too. He and I are born two weeks apart. And so we just have a lot of things in common. Now he has four kids. I don't have any, so that's different. But the things that make us laugh, the silly humor, the way that we see the game is very similar. And that's been a joy. And then getting to work with Tom and Smoltzy, for me, you know, you grew up a Braves fan too. I had to pinch myself a little bit, yeah. man. I mean, I did. I Stepping into the booth for the first time with those guys, like, holy cow, these are the guys that I grew up idolizing on the field throughout the 90s. And to get to call this game with them while we watch our beloved Braves, uh, incredibly special. And then, you know, Peter Peter has grown so much and is just tremendous. And he has that same sense of humor mm-hmm. as Nick, every, or as Jeff, everywhere we go someone stops Peter. Like, Peter, I love you. Peter, I mean, he is kind of this local celebrity because he is such a positive, energetic guy. And then Nick is tremendous. And he's so good on the desk, but he's really coming into his own in the booth. So, yeah, uh, earlier I said spoiled to kind of be following this team, but really, honestly, to have the the crew that we work with, both on air and the crew in the truck, headed up by Gretchen and Mike, our producer and director. Just really lucky. Just really lucky to have the team we do. Wrapping up here with Brandon Godden, as we wrap up the regular season obviously the local broadcast will give way to the national broadcast and that will change a lot of things in the way that we enjoy and and the way we take in the sport certainly and it'll change your schedule just a little bit I would imagine so as we go forward we're all going to be watching this Braves team very closely what have you seen about this club that you feel like has them set up to do the things in October that they're certainly capable of well I'm like everybody else I would be lying if you look at the pitching right now you aren't given a slight pause but I'm more I would say optimistic probably than the casual fan just because I've heard them say that it looks like Max is going to be ready to go and if you've got Max and Spencer with this lineup that is such a dangerous combination I think we have to remind ourselves let's say that Charlie struggles to come back or he can't come back or Max's blister is bothering him you still have really the envy of 29 other teams in Major League yeah. Baseball because of this lineup, because you still have good pitching, uh, even even if there are injuries. Um, so I'm hopeful that those guys are able to pitch, obviously. Uh, certainly, Max, you get him back, and I think that changes everything. You get Charlie back. Even if for some reason you don't get Charlie back, I think the fact that you do have Elder, and I know that he struggled a little bit in the second half, but let's say he gets into the third inning, he's having issues. What a luxury to be able to bring Kyle Wright and his experience yeah out of the bullpen for three or four innings. So, look, it's going to be a fun postseason. We all hope that it ends with a World Series ring. I know for me, selfishly, now not doing the games in the postseason – I'm excited to take them as, in as a fan. I plan on channeling my little kid from back in the 90s when I would clutch my tomahawk and watch those games every night. I'm excited to do that as a fan with everybody else and hopefully watch this team make a little more history and get another World Series title. Yeah, well, as we saw back in 2021, this is a place that can certainly rock during the postseason. They're looking forward to a long run, and the battery gets a little bit packed with every <laughs> passing round and every passing game and seemingly every passing inning. So it's a great place to take in a baseball game and I'm sure for you as you've come into this first season behind the desk for the Braves it's been quite an enjoyable experience but as we like to say you play those 162 so you can play some more and the Braves want to play all they can Brandon thank you so much for your time I appreciate it as always absolutely Grant thanks for having me man really appreciate Brandon making some time to chat with me this week he has had a front row seat for this Atlanta Braves club and of course we all look forward to seeing what this team is going to be able to do when October rolls around and that is right around the corner When we come back, though, we will turn our attention to what else is happening across the world in baseball as we take our trip around the big leagues with some of the biggest stories from the week that was. It comes your way next on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. 
taking a look around the league with more of our From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back in. This is From the Diamond. Grant McCauley with you from the Kia Studios. Hour two of the show. And just a couple of days left for the Braves in the regular season as we sit here on a Saturday afternoon. Just getting ready for October, I think, as much as anything. You just want to get through the regular season healthy for the Atlanta Braves and get ready to win those big games. You've been playing all spring, all summer, and into the fall for. And that, of course, is what's right out in front of them. Great to catch up with Brandon Gauden. I've had the opportunity to get to know him over the course of this year. And, you know, if you were looking to, to check some boxes for what you wanted out of the play-by-play television voice for your club to listen to each and every day, I think Brandon checks an awful lot of those boxes. He and Jeff Rancourt have been a great team. You bring Tom Glavin back into the mix. That's been a lot of fun. Nick Green, Peter Moylan has jumped in there. Kelly Kroll does an outstanding job. Just a great team. They've got run over there, both uh, in front of the camera, behind the scenes, uh, all of that. So always great to catch up with those folks. Always great to uh, chat some Braves baseball, Brandon Gauden. So hope you enjoyed that. If you missed that for any reason, you can always check out From the Diamond wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure you're following along on social. You can find me at Grant McCauley on most platforms. You can also like the show on Facebook. And if you need links to any or all of those things, you can check out fromthediamond.com. But let's uh, take our trip around the big leagues. Quite a few things going on here in that final week of the season. And, yeah, we'll talk about the postseason an awful lot, and we'll continue to focus on it all the way through the month of October. And, you know, uh, good Lord willing, we'll be talking about the Braves all the way through the month of October. But there are also some things that we expect to happen at the close of just about every season, and one of those is managerial changes. And we saw one of those take place, a couple of those actually taking place, though under very different circumstances. First, we're going to talk about was the big news on Friday out of San Francisco where the Giants decided to part ways with manager Gabe Kapler. And this ends, I think, a very disappointing, if not, it's almost worse than being bad sometimes when you're just a mediocre club because the expectation doesn't leave. It's not, okay, well, all right, I can understand this guy, this guy, and this guy got hurt, and all of a sudden your season just goes sideways and, you know, you chalk it up to injury or inconsistency or some other thing. But the Giants seem to be a club that was in it as far as the wild card's concerned, but not really a clear contender in the National League West that includes the Los Angeles Dodgers, who, by their standards, are having a little bit of a down year, not so much offensively, but they're trying to figure it out on the mound. But the Giants just were never really able to put it together. And it just kind of sounded like this was a clubhouse that Gabe Kapler just ended up losing. But the team made the announcement on Friday, the official announcement, ending his four-year run as the uh, manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers, or excuse me, of the uh, San Francisco Giants. And, of course, he took over for Bruce Bochy, who is now managing down in Texas. But uh, two years ago, I think about this, the Giants won 107 games against the Dodgers to win the National League West. They were a 500 club a year ago, and they lost to the Dodgers in that divisional race by 30 games by virtue of L.A. winning 111 games. And, of course, we know that the uh, Dodgers did not make it very far in the postseason last year. That's uh, another story, though. The Giants, though, heading into Friday with a 78-81 and 81 record. So they're going to need to win the weekend, basically, to be a 500 team for the second consecutive year. They were holding on to the third wild card spot a couple of weeks ago, but they've been three and, uh, gone 3-10 and 10 in the last couple of weeks, and that really sealed their fate as far as the postseason is concerned. Of course, we know Kapler from the National League East. He was uh, the head of the Phillies in 2018-2019. And uh, Giants president of baseball ops, Farhan Zaidi, he praised Kapler's work for the club, and this was the statement that he put out. After making this recommendation to ownership and receiving their approval, I met with Gabe to inform him of our decision. In his tenure of, as Giants manager, Gabe led our team through the unprecedented pandemic of 2020 to a franchise record 107 wins in postseason in 2021. He's been dedicated and passionate in his efforts to improve the on-field performance of the Giants. I have tremendous respect for him as a colleague and a friend. And on behalf of the Giants organization, we wish Gabe the best of luck in his future endeavors. 
because it wouldn't be a dismissal if you didn't wish them that. At least it'd be a little bit more acrimonious. But uh, that aside, the, the question, of course, becomes, you know, where do the Giants go from here? Who exactly do they bring in? Because it's going to take more than simply changing the manager to get this club heading back in the right direction. I feel like they've done a nice job of, on the pitching side especially, being able to take arms and really maximize and get more out of them in recent years. Hasn't worked out quite the same here in the last couple of seasons, and particularly this year. But when you thought about the offseason a little bit, the Giants were this close, I guess, to signing Carlos Correa as one of, I guess, several teams that thought they'd signed Carlos Correa. That didn't happen. They also were in the mix for Aaron Judge, but that, of course, was before the Correa news even came down the pike. So it's just strange to see a club that has had, you know, the success that the Giants have had, the rivalry that they have, obviously, with the Los Angeles Dodgers is one of the better ones in, in baseball, one of the bigger ones anyway. It seemed like a place that they'd be able to, you know, find somebody to come in and with a front office that appears to be really focusing on a lot of the right things, be able to put a winning product out on the field. But over the last couple of years, things just have not worked out that way. Just about every player on the roster, I think it's safe to say in 2021, when you won 107 games, well, they put a lot of stuff together. But the rotation has not been the same since then. And the Giants, they really just haven't been able to supplement this club and build it up the way that they need to in order to keep that going. So when you're out there trying to replicate what the Dodgers are doing, that's going to get you an extra level of scrutiny and you know, who knows? Gabe Kapler might have a cooling off period, if you will, of maybe not managing for a couple of years, but he's young enough. I'm going to guess his name comes back up for somebody, particularly when you've had a 107 win season under your belt. But a change for the San Francisco Giants, just one of the managerial changes going on. The other uh, happening in Cleveland, Terry Francona retiring as Guardians manager. I, I think it's pretty safe to say he's got a, a very good case uh, to be in the Hall of Fame. He's won a couple of World Series. I don't think anything was bigger or better for him as far as is concerned than the 2004 Boston Red Sox, one of the great comeback stories of all time. Uh, but it does sound like the managerial stint in Cleveland is not only done, but perhaps the managerial career of Francona, who's 64 years old. That's not to say that in a couple of years things may not change, but you know, he's already being uh, wished well by the Cleveland fans as he has done uh, with the now Guardians there. Francona has uh, got a 1,950 career wins against 1,670 career losses, a 540 winning percentage basically, and uh, you know, you're know looking at essentially an 87-win season per year there. Uh, this from Matt Snyder of CBS Sports, who was able to tally all of these things up here. Uh, Francona, 13th all-time in managerial wins, trailing 11 other Hall of Famers, and another one, or a couple more, in Dusty Baker and Bruce Bochy, who figured to go to the Hall of Fame as well. So congratulations to Terry Francona, man they call Tito, on if it's a very good career for him or a great career, Hall of Fame career for him, or perhaps there's a, another chapter to write. We've seen stranger things happen than that. Meanwhile, if you want to see something strange that was happening, well, you might want to have watched the first inning of the New York Yankees taking on the Kansas City Royals, and in particular the final chapter of Carlos Rodon, who signed a huge contract with the Yankees, who had one of the more disappointing seasons that you can have. And by Yankee standards, this, I would say, is probably an inexcusable, unacceptable type of season. But uh, Rodon, he faced eight batters against Kansas City through 35 pitches, did not record an out, eight-run first inning for the Kansas City Royals, who won 12-5 to over the Yankees at Kauffman Stadium. And this was year one of that six-year, $162 million contract for Rodani signed with the Yankees, who are going to finish at 500 because they're 81-79 and on the year. But this has not been a great run for the Yankees, to put it mildly. And we're going to talk about the team that won the American League East because this was a year that, in that division, 
did not play out, I think, anywhere close to what we would have expected as Baltimore is the best team in the American League. I'll get to that story in just a moment, but really disappointing uh, outing clearly for Rodon and a disappointing season for the Yankees. And it just goes to show you, you know, and with a team like the Kansas City Royals, who've been coming up a lot lately because they've been involved in some of the crazy goings-on in the American League West, kind of throwing a wrench in the works for a couple of different teams. There's no easy ones down the stretch when you're, what, half a game, a game apart from a couple of other teams, and just about any club can have your number on a particular night. But for Rodon, he finishes the season with a really tough final line, 685 the ERA in 64 and a third innings. He made only 14 starts, had to deal with some injury as well, and Yankees are going to have to figure a lot of things out if they want to turn things around in that American League East because you see what the Orioles have done and 100 wins for this Baltimore Orioles club who clinched the AL East title a couple of nights ago. Two years ago, the Yankees were a club near the top of the American League East. The Orioles, meanwhile, were losing 110 games. And somehow, two calendar years later, they've turned into a 100-win team, and it's because they drafted and were able to produce a fine wealth of talent that's turned it into uh, a club that could be one of the great stories. I mean, I'm, I don't know if it's really a, a big surprise, but I'm kind of hoping for a, maybe a Braves-Orioles World Series. I think that one would be pretty fun. I don't know if the television networks would love it as much, but you know, honestly, who cares? Because as a baseball fan, I think it'd be a lot of fun, and different matchups are, are also fun for that. But uh, the Orioles, with their 2 nothing win over the Red Sox a couple of nights ago, uh, were able to win the American League East. Uh, Dean Kremer, Finished that game with uh, eight strikeouts. He's 13-5 and five on the year. This is not a team full of you know a, a lot of players that you would be familiar with necessarily, but some great young stars have come up. Adley Rushman, I think, is going to be a big deal in the American League for a long time. We saw him in the All-Star game. Uh, Baltimore, though, its first 100-win season since 1980. That's a pretty good year. For a while, it was a, about the only good year for the Georgia Bulldogs, but that's changed recently as well, and it would appear that the Baltimore Orioles are going to make that change as well. But uh, this their march to a division, if you think about what the Tampa Bay Rays did out of the gate uh, with that long winning streak and just seeming like they were going to run away and hide with the American League East, this goes to show you over the course of a season, if you keep chipping away and keep winning series, you've got the opportunity to do something special, and the Orioles have certainly done that. But 13 consecutive wins for the Rays, they're going to find themselves in October as well. Uh, but the Rays, at one point, had a six-and-a-half game lead over Baltimore, and that has vanished. And congrats to the Orioles on becoming the – Champions of the American League East of sealing home field advantage for them through at least the ALCS. If they do run into the Braves, though, that'll be happening at Truist Park. At least that's where it's going to start. I'll wrap up with this one. The big spending San Diego Padres. You will not find them in October, uh, past Sunday anyway. You might find them playing a game then, but you're not going to find them in your postseason picture because this offseason they're going to have to spend figuring out how they're going to get back into things. And you know their club, much in the, in the same vein of the New York Yankees, not as far as the heritage is concerned, but as far as the money that was spent to be better than they were this year, it was a late charge, if you will. We were talking about it a week ago on the show, like what had to go right for the Padres to get into the postseason. And I think it involved them going 8-1 and one and basically having the Cubs, the Marlins, and the Cincinnati Reds all fall apart at the same time. I don't think you can ever count on that in the final seven or ten games of a season, but uh, this it's always I think it's going to be one of those great what-if teams or why exactly it happened. We've heard so many reports, though, there's a lot of acrimony in that clubhouse between players, maybe some animosity, just not a great mix. You can find that out on the field. Uh, the Padres won 12 of their past 14. They had a 500 record coming into the weekend, but that's just not going to get it done because the Padres spent much of the season below 500 uh, from May, June, July, 
August all the way into September before they went on that winning streak, and they just were not able to get it done. Their manager, Bob Melvin, though, I'll bring his name up because if they decide to let him go because somebody's going to get scapegoated for the underperformance here of this club, maybe that's a guy that the San Francisco Giants would look at as well. That would be interesting to see, and we'll see if that plays out. But Danny Vinti on social media posted this, and I found this to be fascinating. The 2023 Padres could have this year's Cy Young Award winner in Blake Snell. They've got three hitters with 25 or more home runs. They've got the second-best team ERA in the National League, a closer with a 116 ERA who doesn't want to throw more than three outs. That's another story. Third-highest offensive F war in the National League and the third-fewest errors, and they got eliminated from the playoffs on Friday. It sounds like a club, and if you believe in that Pythagorean uh, one-loss record, this should be a 90-win team. They are not a 90-win team, and that's one reason, one of the many reasons they're going to be heading home Uh, for the winter. When we come back, though, we will continue our look around the big leagues, but also bring a little bit of focus back to what's been going on with the Atlanta Braves, this powerhouse offense. I want to get some insight on how exactly the Braves managed to supercharge this thing. And uh, one of the players in particular, Matt Olson, putting together the best season of his life. So, you know, Saris of the Athletics is going to join me to talk about all of that. Maybe a little bit on that wild card. We'll get into all that here. As From the Diamond with Grant McCauley continues on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Back to Grandma Coley for more from the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back into From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Grant McCauley with you from the Kia Studios here on a Saturday afternoon as we get set for what is, I would imagine, going to be a pretty exciting final 48 hours, at least in the wild card. But as far as the Atlanta Braves are concerned, we already know what is awaiting. We just don't know who exactly it's going to be. But how exactly they got here, we've talked about a lot on this show, and it has an awful lot to do with the offense. So to help me take a deeper dive into that, I want to welcome in Eno Saris of The Athletic. You can follow him on social media at Eno Saris. Eno, it's been a little while since we've gotten a chance to chat baseball. Hope you've been well, and thanks for making some time. Uh, thanks for having me. So as we look at the Braves, this is a club that I think has a very capable pitching staff. Now, they got some questions going into the postseason. I've talked about those a lot here on today's show. But one thing that has not been in question throughout the 2023 season has been the Braves' ability to hit. They have been an absolute powerhouse. They're leading MLB in numerous categories. Those are the results. But I'm interested in the methods, both the individual and collective, that have helped Atlanta accomplish these things. You wrote a great piece in The Athletic discussing some of the adjustments, particularly for Matt Olson, which have helped him reach that next level. But before we get into Olson, I'm kind of curious, what stands out to you about the Braves, their trends, and what exactly is contributing to this juggernaut of a season? Well, I had the chance to talk to Matt Olson about this, and I've been talking to him for a while since I'm based out here in California, and Matt came up with The Athletics. And you know, one of the things that I was poking at was, hey, do you have a better process? Do you have more data? Do you have more tech? You know, are you coached better in Atlanta? And he didn't uh, he didn't really take the bait. <laughs> he, didn't, he was like, you know, uh, there's some good stuff here. But he thinks it was mostly about personnel and mostly about the different players that are on the team. The thing he told me that was so compelling for me was, he was just like, look at the guys we've got. They're so different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know, he said, I can be pitched to. <laughs> like, I can be game plan to. Here's what he said. He said, we're all really good, but we're a hard team to game plan for, for how different we all are. Eddie Rosario and I are both lefties, but I'm probably a little easier to game plan for. If you face him, he can hit any pitch. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I looked at you know, how the Braves do against different pitch types. And they're the only team in baseball that basically does not have a flaw. They're, they're really good against every pitch type. 
And then I just looked at heat maps for each of the players on the Braves. And he's right. You got righties, you got lefties, you got switch hitters, you got low ball hitters, you got high ball hitters, you got inside hitters, you got outside hitters. And so if you're as a pitcher, you have your strengths, you have your places you don't want to go. And if you run into a lineup like this, somebody's going to get you. And something I see from the box scores all the time is, you know, sometimes, you know, the middle of the lineup goes over, you know, but it's almost never that the entire lineup goes over because maybe the middle of the lineup is like, oh, this is a sinker baller guy and we're not great at that. And then Michael Harris takes him deep yeah. or Eddie Rosario takes him deep. And that's what's so good about this lineup is that it's so many different looks, so many different styles and approaches, and it's it's really great that way. Yeah, it's truly incredible to put together all these pieces. And, I mean, you hit the nail on the head, and obviously Matt Olson's got a first-hand view because he's one of the guys out there doing it. And he said, I've talked to him a handful of times throughout the year, you know, my success is a byproduct of other guys' success and the inability for pitchers to really look through this lineup and say, okay, this is how I'm going to game plan. This is where I'm going to go get my outs. I'm not going to let this guy beat me. Good luck with that nature of thinking against the starting nine for the Braves most nights. Uh, they've got a chance to break the MLB record for most homers in a single season heading into the final weekend. That, you know, happened back in 2019. In fact, the top four seasons as far as home run totals ever happened in 2019. But doing it this year, there's no discussion about altered baseballs and what have you. It's so far and away ahead of every other club. The Braves just seem to be on to something slash some things when it comes to all this power as well. Yeah, and if there is something, it might be the fastball. That is what they're number one in the league against is the fastball. They've done it in a way that allows them to be successful against other pitch types. But, you know, Matt Olson told me that one of his big personal uh, steps forward has been figuring out how to hit rise uh, riding fastballs, you know, what the what the approach is against them. And so he's personally gotten better against four scenes. And then there's a great piece by Mike Petriello, uh, about how Ronald Cunha Jr. has cut his strikeout rate in half. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that he's done so largely by hitting fastballs better and turning what used to be fastball fa whiffs into foul balls. So maybe there's something in the way that they either acquire players or they coach players in that uh, they teach, uh, you know, spank the fastball, hit the fastball hard, you know, do what you can. But also maybe some some way of kind of spoiling uh, fastballs if you can't get to them. So I don't know what the secret sauce is, but there is, uh, you know, a personal theory of mine that I've had about a variance in, in lineup and approaches. You know, there's a year there's a year you can look back where uh, theoretically Adam Dunn and, and Vladimir Guerrero had the same output you know, the same OPS or whatever. And so theoretically, if you put a lineup of Adam Dunn's out there against the lineup of Vlad Guerrero's, they should, you know, play to a tie. Um, but I always thought that uh, if you put a lineup of mixed Adam Dunn and Vlad Guerrero's out there, and I want someone out there someday to, to, to simulate this for mm -hmm. me, that the mixed lineup would totally destroy the other two. Yeah. Because it would be way harder to pitch to, you know, Adam Dunn and then Vlad Guerrero back and forth and back and forth than it would be to pitch to one or the other. So that was my personal theory, and uh, I think the Braves in some way are proving it. I think that that's a really good point, and especially with the, the variations of the type of hitters that you brought up. I mean, some of these guys a little bit freer swingers. Others, a little bit more selective. And obviously, I don't think you get much more of a freer swinger and a slugger than Vladimir Guerrero Sr. And uh, somebody who could strike out a little bit, but also draw a lot of walks, hit a lot of homers. That, of course, was Adam Dunn. 
Chatting with Eno Saris of The Athletic here on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. He joins me on the com hotline. Uh, you've touched on this a little bit with Matt Olson, and, and just worth pointing out that, you know, I believe he's having one of the quietest 50 homer seasons I can think of because most years, if you lead the league in home runs and RBI, two of the triple crown categories, you may run away and hide with the MVP award. That is just not the case this year, thanks in large part to teammate Ronald Acuna Jr., who we'll get to a little bit later. Olsen struggled a lot in the first half. I think he had a strikeout rate, you know, at one point approaching 40%, and he caught fire in the month of June and was able to more than cut that in half himself. You mentioned that he has adjusted a little bit to how he has uh, been approaching, I guess, fastballs, particularly those with rise. Is that really, you feel like, the main change or the main focus that may have helped him kind of unlock something, even in the midst of a season? Well, uh, he homered yesterday, or, you know, the homer yesterday, right? Off yeah. of, uh, and it was off a of breaking ball low, right? Mm-hmm. And the one thing that happened when we were talking about it is, you know, I said, you know, once you started spanking fastballs, the number of sliders you saw really started to increase. Right. And um, the, the sort of percentage of sliders he's seen is the highest he's ever seen in the last two years. And he said, yeah, you know, that's that's part and parcel of it. You know, if you start doing really well, uh, you know, vertically on, on high fastballs. Uh, then the response is going to be to try to you know, fill up the low part of the zone with sliders. But so you see in that home run off of a, a low breaking ball yesterday that um, he has a really good mind at the plate and he has a really good uh, sense of, of anticipation. And, you know, if you can anticipate that they're going to fill you up with breaking balls low in the zone and you can do damage on that, then you start uh, making pitchers really scared about you know, which way they can go. If they can't go high and they can't go low, what are they going to do? Right. So, um, you know, Olsen's really just a, a great hitter and uh, a great baseball mind. Um, and, uh, you know, it is, uh, you know, it's not his fault that he can't, you know, he's not going to play short or, uh, you know, steal 70 bags. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, um, just because uh, it's, not, it's not his fault he can't do those things doesn't mean that those things aren't valuable it still is valuable to steal 70 bags it still is valuable to be able to play second short in the outfield so um, you know that's something that award voters are going to take into consideration and I think for Olsen, it's going to be a top five MVP finish, uh, and that's not something to shake your stick at. Not at all. And I think it could be fascinating to see the top four be two teammates, two sets of teammates from two different clubs. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many times that's happened in Major League Baseball history either. With that in mind, we have to at least discuss Ronald Acuna for a minute or two, throwing the MVP debate aside, because I think we've all probably heard just about enough of that here at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when a hitter does the things that Ronald has done, statistically, you know, analytically, as you, you look at all the data beyond just what the eyes show you and he's found that way as you mentioned to cut that strikeout rate in half year over year I don't know what exactly you chalk that up to I mean I'm sure everyone would like to say hey I'm going to strike out less but this degree of improvement is just one of the most impressive things about Acuna and I think it's obviously feeding into the monster results that he has put up this season across the board well I think the one thing you'll see is that this is the smallest uh, pull percentage uh, of his career Mm -hmm. and he's managed to hit the ball hard still Uh, he's hit ball harder this year than he's ever hit in his life uh, but he's and so he's I think there's a health component too. Uh, you know, just being fully healthy after that last year. Um, but also like just coming together a really good approach. And if you think about what it takes to foul off a fastball, but also uh, hit him for for huge tanks, I think that it, it means that sometimes uh, you can be early on the fastball and pull it for uh, for a huge homer. And sometimes you can be late on the fastball and, you know, push it for a, a double the other way. 
And sometimes you can be super late on the fastball but still make contact and get that foul ball. And that's kind of what I see with him is that he's found a way to spoil pitches. Um, and if he's sort of anticipating incorrectly, uh, found a way to still catch up to that fastball and, uh, and, and spoil it. And I think it all boils down to the, one of the things that he has um, that's you know sort of top of the league when it comes to the plate is bat speed. Yeah. Um, and so if you are anticipating a breaking ball and you have to catch up to that fastball to just spoil it off, having plus bat speed, having elite bat speed like he does, I think is, is a big part of the picture. Yeah, truly incredible just the things he is doing. And you can tell that, you know, we've talked about a five-tool player before, and Ronald Lacuna Jr. is certainly one of those. And the, the times that I've had to just ask him, I mean, Ronald's not a guy that gets stuck all into the numbers. Clearly, he can know when he's doing well. He can see what he's putting up. But he said the number one thing this year, the difference between last year and this year is the health. It's the trust in that knee. And as far as the strikeouts are concerned, he offered a kind of a simpler explanation. But when I thought about it a little bit more, talked to Kevin Seitzer and, and some of the other Braves hitters that you hear from, I'm sure Matt Olson is along the lines on this. In fact, I know he is based on what you said. You know, when you're able to get to that fastball and you're able to be aggressive and, and do the things that you do uh, in terms of not missing your pitch, it makes a huge difference to the outcome of the majority of your plate appearances. And the cut in strikeouts, I mean, it goes for the entire club. Atlanta was second in Major League Baseball in strikeouts last year. They've been around 25th this season. Again, just some market improvements for the entire Braves lineup. That's, you know, and, and huge improvements like that. Some of the biggest, most iconic World Series winners of the last few years have had major improvements in strikeout rate the year they won it all. Strikeout rate is one of the things that becomes slightly more important in the postseason than the regular season. Mm-hmm possibly because you're pitching you're the, you're facing better pitching and so if you can make contact um you know across the season then you can make better contact against these uh better pitchers in the postseason so uh you think about those that cubs team that gelled um and and won the world series they were the biggest improver in strikeout rate the year they won so um you know this is a this is an important thing it's one of the only little things that I would say was a negative about the Braves offense in the past, a little bit of feast and famine because of the strikeout rate. Now that they're 25th, there's really no hole here. Um, and, uh, and so it's uh, for Braves fans. It's just uh, let's hope the pitching is good enough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a big hope, but I think you get every club that goes in the postseason hopes they're able to post what they need to on the mound and then get enough runs to get across the plate and turn it into some wins. Go there's ahead. a great piece by Jason Stark uh, on the athletic about just how good this Braves offense is, and it just goes through everything. Maybe the best, um, you know, WRC+, plus, which is kind of like OPS+, plus, you know, they're probably going to break the record for home runs. Just a ton of different ways that this is probably the best uh, offense of all time, up there at least with the 27 Yankees and a couple other offenses that have been out there. Uh, but that's pretty cool to say, like, we had the best offense of all time. Yeah, and I think the 27 Yankees, regardless of if you could name all of them to a man, everybody refers to that as if you've got a great offense or you're doing something really well, you're the 27 Yankees. So <laughs> that's, right. that's a pretty yeah. nice compliment there. Let me wrap up with this. Across baseball, we're seeing some crazy finishes, which is exactly what MLB wants with the expanded wild card system. I think the Phillies have everyone's attention in the National League based off what they did a year ago, what they're doing again this year at the right time. After that, Arizona intrigues me a lot, but the third team out of the National League picture in particular, we may end up having to draw it out of a hat in the final weekend if, if the chaos that MLB likes to have is uh, in the offing for us here over this next 72 hours. Yeah, uh, it's nice because if we didn't have that third uh, wild card, we may not 
really have any races right now. <laughs> so, yeah. um, you know, I, 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 I don't love that it dilutes, um, you know, the regular season makes the regular season a little bit less important that you can, you know, get into the playoffs with 86, 87 wins, maybe 83, 84 in the national league. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, my kids are watching the, the Mariners games pretty intently. Um, you know, the Cubs, uh, are, seem to be limping a little bit at the end. Uh, they, they, they had much better playoff odds. Uh, but here, you know, you've got the Marlins, the Cubs and the Reds, um, and the, and the Astros and Mariners duking it out. So that's, that's good for baseball. That's going to be, it's not going to be quite, I forget what year it was, maybe 2010, 11, somewhere in there. Um, when we had like, you know, eight different, 10 different, 15 different permutations and, you, you had to watch that last day where all the games were on at the same time. You had to have every game on because yeah. you didn't know who was going to make the postseason. So not quite like that, but still a lot of Sunday games that I think will matter. Well, we're definitely looking forward to seeing how this final weekend plays out. And then the postseason's right out in front of us. Eno, thank you for all your time. Appreciate it. And hopefully we'll be catching up again soon. Thanks for having me on. He's Eno Saris of The Athletic. When we come back, we'll turn our attention back to the Atlanta Braves and talk a little bit about the postseason rotation, the decisions to make on the pitching staff, and hear from a man who's very excited to have a chance to play in the postseason. He's longtime minor leaguer Forrest Wall, the speedster who's been making a nice impression here in the second half. I got to catch up with him at Truist Park. All of that is coming your way here on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. I love baseball. Now back to more Graham McCauley and From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. This is From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game, as we wrap up hour number two of the show and thus the entire show here. And we got more Braves to talk about, of course. And it's great to catch up with Eno Saris, get a little bit of insight on why the Braves' offense is as good as it is. We look at the numbers and we talk about it as quantifiable, as they say. The data is out there, but. You know, just getting a look under the hood. And the kind of changes you have to make over the course of a season is one thing. But to go from what the Braves did in 2022, a very different type of offense to what they have this year, that to me has been a big story and uh, the driving force. Uh, And I don't think that's any real surprise about what the 2023 Braves have done. The offense has done a lot of the heavy lifting. But as you get into the postseason, you're going to have to get your pitching figured out. And for the Braves, untimely injuries have kind of been a part of their postseason script since 2020. Because I want to flash you back, not because we're going to spend a lot of time there, but just kind of walk through this exercise with me. In 2020, the shortened season, Michael Soroka's uh, Achilles injury happened initially. The Braves kept going through starting pitcher after starting pitcher. They finally called up Ian Anderson, and he ended up being a big part of their success that year and a big part of their success in the postseason and then doing it again in 2021 because the Braves had to kind of cobble some things together, get to the World Series finally. Charlie Morton breaks his leg in Game 1 of the World Series. Then you end up starting not one but two rookies to try to get through that one. And then, of course, last year we know what happened with Max Reed getting sick with Spencer Strider dealing with the oblique injury and a very quick exit from the postseason for the Atlanta Braves. And now as we head into the fourth year of this exercise, so if you're going to a four-year school, this is your senior year, hopefully. Maybe no more years of injury to follow. But you got Max Reed dealing with a blister injury, or a blister issue, I should say, and Charlie Morton with a finger injury. And both of those things kind of... Make you question, you know, how exactly is this going to look when you get into October? The good thing for the Braves this year, as I talked about much earlier in the show, and as I think everybody's probably realized by now, when you handle your business and clinch the division earlier and you're able to kind of know where it is you're going to go and when you're going to be there, it allows you a little bit of time to maybe throttle back. I mean, that's why Max Fried didn't make one more start in the regular season because he didn't need to. And I think that he'll have time to get that blister injury or blister issue dealt with 
so that he can start, I would presume, game one, maybe game two, but probably game one of the National League Division Series with the other one going to Spencer Strider. But the Charlie Morton thing, that really threw a wrench, I think, in what the Braves' best laid plans could be because as Charlie has had a year that has been enigmatic, maybe up and down certainly at times, he still has the best postseason resume of anybody on this Braves pitching staff. So to not have him available at all as you're figuring this out is far from ideal. So that brings up questions about what the third spot of the Braves' rotation is going to look like in the National League Division Series. And maybe you get Charlie Morton back in the NLCS, but as Brian Snitker said, hey, we got to get there. We'll figure that thing out. We'll give Charlie the time that we can. It'll be three weeks between his last start when he had the, free, the finger sprain that kind of cropped up on him and when he would presumably be asked to start a National League Championship Series game. But Bryce Elder's second half, if you think Charlie Morton was a roller coaster, well, this one for Bryce Elder has been uh, up and down, uh, to say the least. And the September wasn't exactly reassuring results-wise. You got an ERA well over five. There have been a handful of quality starts for Bryce Elder in the second half, but nowhere close to what he was doing. I mean, this guy was a quality start machine for the Braves in April, May, and June. In July came, he still looked pretty good, but right before the All-Star break, he ran into the Tampa Bay Rays, had a bad start. And he thought, okay, well, everybody's due for one. And no matter how good a starting pitcher is, typically you're going to have three, four, five starts that just they don't go your way. You're chased before the five innings. Yeah, you're, you give up a big you know, crooked number in the first or second inning. You just, you're behind the eight ball. It's just not working for you. You just don't have your pitches that you need to – be able to get through a major league lineup. That kind of stuff happens. But it does kind of bring up the question, though, as you look at these results for Bryce Elder, and how could it not, particularly with the injury to Charlie Morton? I mean, is this the guy for game three? I tend to think that it is, based on the experience factor. But if you are the Braves and you end up in a number of different scenarios, could you allow yourself to maybe get a little bit more creative and lean on maybe a younger pitcher to at least start the game for you and then have Kyle Wright in kind of a piggyback situation and cover the six innings. And I say that after watching what A.J. Smith-Shawver and Kyle Wright were able to do a couple of nights ago. If that's an answer and a probability, or a possibility, I should say, not probable. We don't know what that's going to be yet. But if that's a possibility, that's one for me that's at least worth exploring. But Bryce Elder's not going to start in Sunday's regular season finale from the sound of it, from talking to Brian Snitker on Friday. And the decision to do that, I think, is just maybe the rest and having him you know, throw his sides would be more along the lines of kind of rebuilding that confidence and also just kind of resetting a bit before that postseason start, potentially in Game 3. But I still think that Bryce Elder is probably the odds-on favor for all of this, but I do feel like you had to at least allow yourself to entertain that idea because that the game with A.J. Smith-Shawver, who came up and looked much like the pitcher that we heard about in the minor leagues, the prospect with the big fastball and, and good breaking stuff, we didn't see that as much in some of his starts after his first one and after that major league debut in which he came on in relief uh, against Arizona, I believe, in uh, what, late May, early June. The fastball was more 93-94, but we saw 100 miles an hour two nights ago. Uh, 98 miles an hour in his final outing. The 65 pitch is kind of limited. He's been working through some stuff, I think, down in AAA, maybe a little injury concern here or there, and you don't want to push too hard. But to have him available to you, quite possibly, and we'll talk about this in a couple of minutes, about you know what kind of roster decisions you could be making. But that velocity, that played well. Then you had Kyle Wright come in and have what I thought was another, and this is the second one in a row, good relief appearance. The first one came against the Washington Nationals. That's not much of a litmus test for what you'll be facing in October. But the next one coming against the Chicago Cubs, a team very much fighting for its October life, that I'll take a little bit more out of. 
curveball looked extremely good for Kyle Wright. He's going to be down, I think, a tick or two on velocity. But if you got that curveball working, and as I've talked about before, you don't have to have four pitches working as a reliever to get through a lineup once, maybe one and a half times, which I think would be about the the point that you'd be looking at some of the other guys in your bullpen anyway. So the Braves are going to have some decisions to make, to make a long story short about this bullpen. you got Rice Iglesias, Joe Jimenez, A.J. Minter, and Pierce Johnson. I think that's the big four, if you will. I don't know if they're going to be called the night shift or if they've got some other name that they're going to come up with as this thing goes along, but I think those are kind of the four late-inning, high-leverage guys that the Braves are going to call on a lot. Then you got Kirby Yates and Brad Hand, some veterans who have closing experience that have, especially with Kirby, has been here all year long, been tasked with some important innings, and I think there's still going to be some to get to the late innings there. And Brad Hand would be your second lefty reliever. And then you've got Michael Tonkin, who's been kind of a multi-inning weapon. Jesse Chavez, who could do that. And then if you're looking to kind of round out this pitching staff, because you're not going to have to carry five starters for a five-game series, that opens up the option of A.J. Smith-Schaffer and Cal Wright in some order, with one of them maybe starting that game three. And then does that mean that Bryce Elder's on or off this postseason rotation? Those are just things that I think the Braves are going to have to figure out. And again, I still think it's highly likely that Bryce Elder makes that start, but there is at least enough information out there now, and results at least, in the most recent pass for this club to consider with that. But uh, otherwise, I don't think we have a whole lot of decisions to be made on that postseason roster. But let's hear a little bit from A.J. Smith-Shawver, who I do feel like, again, is kind of a dark horse. And maybe even if he's not on the Division Series roster, maybe we see him or hear about him getting his name called at some point to help the Braves out on this postseason run. Here he is after that start two nights ago. Yeah, I think it's definitely a, a good thing to get out in front of the, the fans and kind of get the experience with just all that. So uh, I think it's a, something to build on. How nice will it be to just stay here, continue working out with this team next week? And is that the plan you're going to pitch here next week? Um, I don't know. I don't know what the plan is. But uh, just whenever they tell me to throw, I'll be ready. Uh, no matter what, I'll be somewhere throwing the ball, staying ready. So uh, that'll be a good thing. But uh, yeah, I'm just excited for whatever the future is. Whatever it happens, happens. I'm just uh, excited to have the opportunities. Yeah, it could be a pretty good opportunity for A.J. Smith-Shawver. You heard Brian Snitker say earlier in the show, I mean, anytime you're out there on a mound, and that this week included, as they play those practice games, you're being evaluated. Meanwhile, somebody who's been evaluated by the Braves for the course of this season and has found himself a nice little role as, what, a fifth outfielder off the bench and a speed weapon for the Braves as far as postseason roster is concerned is Forrest Wall, longtime minor leaguer. Nine years it took him to get to the majors. He's been able to, I think, uh, make a very serious case to be on the Braves' postseason roster I think he's going to be there. And after that journey, I want to catch up with him, get some of his thoughts on what it's been like to join this Braves club right about the time they start to play the most important games of the season. Here's Forrest Wall. This is obviously a time of year that the Atlanta Braves are looking to play their best baseball. And for you, someone who has come into the organization, had an opportunity to get to know these guys, how much fun has it been to jump into what is typically a a pretty fun ride for this club come October? Uh, It's been a blast so far. Um, It's always fun to win. Um, It's been really fun to... Uh, just kind of come in this clubhouse, meet the guys. Um, they've accepted me really well. Um, it's been really cool to see how they work, um, how serious they take their work, um, and then it translates to the game. Talk to me a little bit about coming over to the Braves organization, what your connections were, obviously, as a, a guy who had spent a lot of time in the minor leagues working your way towards this. What attracted you to the Atlanta Braves, or, or who was it that contacted you and kind of uh, brought you along? Just the opportunity. Um, you know, I didn't really have much looks from any other organizations. Um, and so, you know, they, they talked with my agent and they were able to work out um, a minor league deal. And, you know, I was thrilled that an, an organization, you know, like this um, 
with such respect, you know, and how they develop players and uh, their winning culture. Um, it was something that, you know, I jumped right on the opportunity and uh, I'm so thankful to be a part of it. You have a game where speed is obviously a big part of that. I think it's kind of an exciting time in baseball because, you know, I don't know when you grew up if there were as many stolen bases as there are now, but there was kind of a while where it seemed like maybe the game moved away from that, but that's something that you bring to the table. What has 2023 been like with the kind of the change of the rules and your style working so well with that? Yeah, it's been cool to see, um, you know, speed and stolen bases get brought back into the game. You know, it helps me that the pitchers can only pick over three times. Um... You know, the bases being bigger has helped me as far as sliding, giving me more of a lane to work with. Um, so I think all of it's been really good for the game, and it's, and it's been cool for me because speed is a part of my game, and it's ultimately helped me out a lot. Yeah, knowing that you were in AAA Gwinnett this year, putting up some big stolen base numbers, having a good all-around season, um, did you anticipate different times of the year where you felt like maybe you were just that phone call away from coming up to join this group? Um, you know, I never really knew. Um, I just was focused one day at a time while I was down there. Um, I've still got things I need to work on, um, and that was my focus and priority. Um, and, you know, I just wanted to make sure that they knew, you know, I was I was ready uh, for whatever they need, and so you know, I'm just thankful for the opportunity to be here. Let me ask you about just a particular moment that I think every kid who ever dreams of playing Major League Baseball looks forward to. That's hitting that first Major League home run for you. That came on this past road trip. I would imagine it was kind of like floating around the bases. Uh, walk me through that at bat, the home run, and then uh, obviously getting a chance to maybe reflect on that in the days that have followed. Yeah, so it was awesome just to get uh, the opportunity to start. Um, and then in my third at-bat, I got to a 2-0 count uh, facing a pretty tough lefty. And, you know, my thought going into that pitch was, okay, you know, don't try to get too big here. Um, I was trying to hit a line drive at the shortstop, and I got a pitch on the inside part of the plate. And, you know, I was on time and uh, put a good swing on it. And um, I was just, like, so excited after that um, to see EY. EY was at first. Um pumped up and then to round the bases and see the bullpen going crazy um, and then Wash at third was fired up as well and, and when I hit home plate Orlando was uh, there ready to give me a huge hug so that was it was all around just like a special moment and I'll never forget it. Yeah, you said this is an opportunity that you're you know, blessed to have and obviously happy to be a part of that as you look forward to what may be to come for this team and the years that you have put in to get to this point. I mean, I know you don't want to stop in the middle of the season and maybe reflect on that, but how gratifying is it to be to the point where you're getting to put this uniform on and have a chance to play on the stage everybody wants to play on? Yeah, I mean, it's a huge blessing. Um, it's been a long time. It's been a lot of hard work, but you know, every day that I get to come here, it's it's an honor to put the uniform on. Um, there's been a lot of ups and downs to get here, so it's just a real blessing. Braves outfielder Forrest Wall. Great to catch up with him this past week at Truist Park. A very cool opportunity for a longtime minor leaguer to be a part of some very big games coming up for the Atlanta Braves. Speaking of which, they will wrap up the regular season this weekend off on Monday. Sim games Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at Truist Park. If you're in the area, you should go and check those out. Off on Friday, game one of the NLDS comes your way Saturday. We'll have all kinds of great coverage here on 92.9 The Game throughout the course of this week as we get ready for the NLDS. I want to thank my guests, Brandon Gauden, as well as Eno Saris of The Athletic, and of course, Forrest Wall. Couldn't uh, 
I've done the show without those guys. Appreciate them. Appreciate Dom for keeping me on the rails as always here on the show. And we will catch you very soon here. I'm Grant McCauley. This has been From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game.